Hi, I'm Maeve Doyle, and a private view is on location in Woolwich. It's an incredible location, and it's a location that we were invited to by Roxana Halls and InFEMS. InFEMS has an exhibition called Five Needle, Five Wire. I'm going to hand it right over to Roxana to tell us about the location, about InFEMS, about this particular show, and about the three pieces we're standing in front of by Roxana. Hello, good morning, thank you for having us. Thank you so much for joining me here in glorious Woolwich on this broiling summer's day. <laughs> this, first of all, the location is stunning. I Incredible. feel like I'm in Red Hook or Brooklyn yeah. or somewhere just... So how did this come about? This is some sort of a haven for artists. I've run into two people I've known on the way just to see you. And there seems to be an artist colony happening out here. There really is. It's uh, Thameside Studios was unknown to me until recently, until this was suggested as the location of one of our Infems exhibitions by Wendy Elia, my co-curator, who has a studio here and has had one for some years. I think also one of our co-founders, Adelaide Demoa, also had a studio here. So many artists have passed through these portals by the Thames. It's one of the largest studio providers in Europe, I believe, and I think it's the biggest one in the UK. So it's a former industrial complex that used to house a Siemens factory. And way back in its history, it was, it was a home to the development of the telegraph system from which the title of the show comes. Okay, the title of the show in the telegraph system, Five Needle, Five Wire. I want you to go a little further into that and well, what we're talking about and coded language, yeah, secret Language in a general spies. sense. And, well, first of all, how we formulate language, how we find means of communication, sometimes in fraught circumstances. We need to find a way of communicating. So sometimes we use encoded language. Sometimes our form of language is more direct. So language in general terms is what we're interested in here. But we're also interested in the way in which artists and women signal to one another, the way that they communicate through systems with one another, and the difficulty that obtains. I agree with you on everything. The difficulty, the nuance, the way things are said, uh, the way things are said on emails, to text messages, to picking up the phone, to in person. Everything can be perceived differently. I almost never send out an email now without someone else checking it. In case whatever manners that are implicit in emails I've messed up on. Does that make sense it to you? It really does. I think it's a point of discussion itself currently you know, how miscommunication became even more entrenched and even more problematic during the pandemic, how hard it was for people to communicate, how hard it was for people to understand one another. And obviously there's been quite a lot of discussion lately about how that might have given rise to really quite fractious communications and um, conflicts, which obviously were, you know, a lot of people are embroiled in now that may never otherwise have been. And there is, you know, there's a good argument for suggesting that the pandemic, um, miscommunication, disconnectedness, has really enhanced that feeling that we can't quite understand one another. So it feels like a good time to be exploring communication and means of communication. The more I think about how we communicate, the more you realize how flawed it is. And so much of it is based on trust. And recently I was listening to uh, an artist, I think it was Sadie Saw, saying that in different languages, you can't hold thoughts that that language doesn't 
adhere to. So if that language doesn't have the words for those thoughts or feelings, you can't really hold them and speak that language. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah. So if we're talking about communicating to each other and you're communicating in a way that, let's say, is limited to painting or limited to sculpture or performance art, there's some things you just can't deal with, which maybe is why collage is so powerful right now. All of a sudden, everybody wants collage. That's very interesting. Do you think it's something about a feeling that there is a, there's something within the language of the work which is being reappropriated, which is familiar to us, so we feel kind of a safety? And sampling. Sampling everybody else's things, oh, yes, too. Completely. Yes, well, it's interesting, the Kate Bush phenomenon, which is very dear to my heart. <laughs> Kate. Everyone who has a heart. <laughs> Everyone who has a heart. Loves Kate. Yeah, that is really fascinating. It does feel like a good time to be talking about these things. I'm going to go into numbers and sacred numbers. Uh, the number five is a key number in so many systems. And, and in your press release, which is wonderful, you talk about it being five pillars of Islam, the five-faced Shiva, the Hindu god, Christ's five sacred wounds, the five book of Moses, five, well, I'll give it to you to carry on. Why did you pick five today? And what does it have to do with this particular show? Well, um, Infems. This is an Infems show. We'll move on to that, obviously. I am known within our collective as being the title generator (laughs) for our... our I'll call you a brand expert. You won't (laughs) like that. (laughs) I could add that string to the Vogue. Um, We like to respond to the venues of our exhibitions. So wherever we've held our exhibitions so far, we've looked into the history of that space and have tried to respond to that space and to find a title and to find a theme which has some form of relevance to the history of that space. Because obviously, you know, you move into a space, it's not just a blank space. You know, we're interested in communicating with other artists and learning from them as much as bringing something to a place or a location. But also, we really want to see what we can draw from the space itself and what we can, yeah, what we can glean from it. So just to explain, one of the purposes of this incredible industrial complex was once closely connected to the development of the telegraph system. And the five-needle telegraph system, which I discovered when delving into the history of the building, was a really important uh, moment in progress, in communications progress, um, of the telegraph specifically. And it was a system of communication that was developed and became integral to communication on the railway system. People won't know what we're talking about unless they watch old movies. Like, we're going to have to send a telegraph and say, send money. So so let's dive into your paintings, because I could see a portrait of Kate Bush in this happening very soon. Well, Kate, if you're there, I'd love love to paint you. So you're talking about women expressing themselves, women's mouths, expressions, the gaze, being watched, doing things in spite of the gaze. And that's just what I see. So what's going on here? Because it's more than just a portrait. So we're looking at two of three pieces which are created for an exhibition called Threesome. And these pieces are called Threesome 1, 2 and 3. The first piece is the self-portrait. They are directly about language and how we try to form a means of communication. Because it's interesting what you were just saying about collage, about repurposing and um, reappropriating. These are kind of tangentially about that. So they're talking about how we find a, a means of communication 
when what we are accustomed to repurposing and responding to is work which is made by people who are not like us and do not share our perspective. So specifically, they're about male film directors' representation of lesbian characters in cinema. Trying to talk Fassbender. Who's in there? Um, Hitchcock is in there. David Lynch, uh, Darren Aronofsky, the director of *The Killing of Sister George*, whose name has eluded me, and there's *The Children's Hour* as well. Is that Robert Aldrich? But I think Shirley MacLaine and Audrey. That's Shirley MacLaine over there. Amazing. Yeah. So I, I, it's one of those questions that you ask yourself inevitably as a maker of images. Any question about authenticity is a complex one. It's a very difficult one. How do you tease out the sense of what constitutes a female gaze, a female voice, an authentic voice, when so much of what we are is a product of everything that we've seen, everything that we know, and things that we love? And this is one of those problematic relationships which involves a lot of friction, but also a lot of love, which I really wanted to deal with and try to communicate something. I'm going to go right to the source of this. What would a male director be trying to coax out of a lesbian character in his narrative? I think it really varies depending on the author, their intentions, but there are absolute stereotypes and paradigms which have been repeated over and over again. Which are, are, so, I mean, I tried to, with each piece, I'm trying to respond to, to try to draw out three separate threads, three separate kind of umbrella characterizations of lesbians in the movies. So, for example, in my self-portrait from the series, I was trying to look at lesbian characters who fall into mental illness. Right. And have have mental health issues, crazy ladies. And then the second piece, which is not with us, it's with my collector, I was looking at lesbian characters who are sexual predators, so in that one, we have the Daughters of Darkness, for example, Delphine Seyrig, Glorious Delphine Seyrig, well, etc. Mm. Oh, no, that's fabulous. No, <laughs> okay, that's Gloria Giallo, a fabulous kind of extravagant Giallo, richly saturated piece. It's really great, actually. And then the third piece, we have um, characters who fall into depression. For the initial exhibition for which these paintings were made, Julia Bell, who's a fantastic writer and poet, wrote a poem in response to these paintings, which I think it was called um, No More Dead Lesbians, <laughs> talking about how often that's the, the trajectory for lesbian characters in film. They, they die, you know, they, they do bad deeds or they go crazy, um, but they fall into collapse and die eventually. So it always follows this, that, that, kind of, that kind of path, that kind of narrative path. But it's a problematic relationship with friction because... These, these representations are problematic. They aren't the ones we would make for ourselves, and don't we know that if we want to speak about our lives, we have to make work ourselves, we have to use our voices. But they're also pieces of work that I love, that have informed me, that have inspired me, that I adore. You know, in my piece, I have Mulholland Drive, I have uh, Petra von Kant. You know, her bitter tears have really <laughs> shed on me, and they are part of my visual language for good or bad. So I kind of wanted with these images, with myself and the two other models for these pieces, two fellow painters who also exhibited with me and also painted, we painted one another for the show and ourselves. 
I really wanted us to be making gestures, physical gestures, which are kind of like a kind of sign language. Yeah. So definitely. we were in the process of, first of all, we're emulating the, the, the mannequins, their strange stilted motions. But in the process of doing so, it's like we're trying to find a kind of gestural polari, like trying to find a means of communication. And you do find it. You do find it. One way or another, you do find it. But it's, it's a fraught and difficult path, I think. But a, but a joyous one, so they're deliberately richly saturated. And they're kind of hyperreal. I wanted us to look like we're not necessarily... We're kind of denatured. We're not made of flesh. We're made of light and colour and possibly metal. So the next thing I'd like to talk about is your involvement with other artists. You've started in FAMS, you've co-curated this show. And I want to talk a little bit about who's involved and why. Uh, It's not an aesthetic similarity, which is great. Mm. So there must be a thematic similarity between the artists that you've picked. Not as such. Tell me. Um, So the... the, the Five Needle, Five Wire. Five Needle, Five Wire. There are five in FAMS. So there are five of us co-founders in in FEMS Intersectional Feminist Art Collective. What does intersectional mean? I, well, we could be here a long time talking about that, but really it's about trying to look at the differences between one another, but also what binds and connects us. So trying to speak to people who are experiencing themselves as artists and as women in a variety of different contexts, different scenarios and that have very different experiences. And talking also about our forms of difference which may not immediately be visible. So obviously we're talking about race, obviously we're talking about sexuality, but also we're talking about circumstances, about um, class specifically, which people don't talk about very much. And I do. And I all the do. time talking about it. No, well, good, <laughs> I'm, good. I'm glad to hear it because it's, it's really crucial to bring that to the discussion. And it's often invisible. You know, nobody knows I'm working class. You know? So I think it's really important to, really, we, we founded ourselves to work together and to mount exhibitions and to invite other artists to work with us, but also to go to different geographical locations, mount exhibitions and invite artists to show with us and to learn from them, to hear from them what their experiences are of being a feminist artist and it's quite difficult sometimes to even to find artists who are comfortable describing themselves as feminist artists you know our first exhibition was in august 2021 and it was in lisbon and you know there was one really obvious artist that we wanted to invite rita gt who is a self-declared feminist artist it was quite difficult to find someone else. In the end, you know, we, we were really fortunate to show um, Keezua, who's a really incredible photographer from Angola originally, who does describe her work as feminist. Before we walk around the show, and you, you walk us around the show, can you tell us how the artists came together? So partly I think what we wanted to talk about with this show was about how artists, female artists, communicate with one another and forge connections with one another. For this exhibition, we looked primarily at relationships which already existed between artists, specifically with Wendy Elia, my co-curator, and the, the broad network of artists that she knows some of whom are fantastic, you know, they're really renowned, you know, and highly respected artists. So Wendy Ely, you know, she's been a really remarkable teacher as well as a, a painter all these years. And she taught at City Lit for many years. So, and she's taught some really incredible artists, some of whom are in this show. 
So, you know, there's so much, you know, we think about a telegram system and you're talking about kind of wires going underground and connecting with one another. And I think it would be, we thought it would be interesting to look at pre-existing connections for so this let's show. let's walk over here yeah. and have a look at this piece. Yeah. So which piece. is so this piece is by Marianne Mancio who is one of the one of infirms so she's the co-director with me co-founder um, she was talking here about echo partly in response to one of our fellow infirms Rebecca Fontaine Wolf over there her work so I've deliberately placed those works um, reflecting one another in conversation because this piece is about uh, Narcissus it's a very dark, romantic, feminist retelling of the narcissist myth. And Marianne wanted to respond to that and talk. You think about Echo and you think of a woman who doesn't have her own voice, whose only purpose is to reflect the voices which are being projected onto her. So in Marianne's piece, she's trying to form other, use other forms of language with which to communicate. So there's coding, there's morse, there's other kinds of language. And here we have the Narcissus flower, which is intended to just slowly fade and die throughout the course of the exhibition. Have you heard of a book called Women Who Run With the Wolves? I've read it. So there's something in that that reminds me of Marianne's piece. Yeah. They said the worst thing you can do to anyone is to silence their voice, yeah. to say you don't want to hear what they have to say. Yeah. And in a sense, I think you're addressing that issue, and that's why these forms of communication are coming out for feelings that we don't even have words for because we may not have seen other. Yes, completely. And I think that's, I think that is particularly true of female artists. I mean, partly the theme, the title of the theme is interesting, just using five needle, because you think of the domestic sphere. Yeah. And it is very interesting to see how many artists and artists in this show use, use means of production which would normally be associated with the domestic realm stitching, sewing and so forth. Yeah, I think it's true that a lot of women have historically, exactly, have historically worked in isolation from one another and worked within and made work within the domestic realm. It's very interesting how many women historically are writers rather than you know, visual practitioners. We're in front of a piece that's made of wool, a, a painterly piece that's made of... It's remarkable, isn't it's it? It's remarkable. Yeah, it's made of hair. Who it's is made this? of fake hair. So this is Farrah Riley Gray. So as well as drawing together pre-existing networks and contacts, which all came from uh, Wendy Elia and her long history of knowing and associating with many artists and teaching them, I really wanted to go and find a couple of artists to, to invite, to show with us, who we didn't know, but whose work did speak to the theme and whose work we found exciting. And I came upon the work of Farrah Riley Gray, which I just think is remarkable. And, she was in a, a fantastic exhibition at the Horniman Museum about hair, curated by Jane Hoodless. And this is a piece about misogynoir. It's a piece about familial connection. It's a piece about how uncomfortable it can be to communicate. There is something there, obviously, about trying to speak about her life, her experience, her family connections. Apparently, she sometimes makes these works with members of her own family. But she makes these works that, uh, on portable looms, which I find fascinating. Amazing. So she weaves these in small sections. Wherever she goes, she, while she's weaving, she's also recording, mentally recording, and reflecting on her personal experience of misogyny as a young black woman. 
And hair is a big issue. Hair is a big issue. Good hair, bad hair. Let's go to the next one. This is really fascinating, this piece. So this, this, these two pieces are by um, Tina True. Tina True um, is a very old friend of Wendy's. Um, she is from Maori ancestry. And this piece, these two pieces are specifically about what is lost to women in Maori culture when they are married. So they're called Mana Wahine and the Hapless Bride. So that there's some incredible writing on their arm which talks about what's lost, what was lost through colonialism, what was lost to women through marriage, and how in pre-colonial days there was a, a much more equitable society. And there was a sense that you could choose your mother or your father's name. You didn't have to give up everything that you owned through marriage, but that slowly changed. One of the women um, has an ink spillage which dribbles down her chin, which is intended to evoke the tamoko, that extraordinary, extraordinary tattoos uh, with which people would, and still do, decorate their faces. Obviously, they have incredible symbolic meaning. She hasn't depicted them very deliberately in these works because she wanted to suggest a kind of erasure, an erasure of communication of language. And all that remains there in one of these pieces is this, this ink dribble. But it kind of suggests that her means of communication through her work has left a mark on, the, on her... This is her ancestor, on her ancestor's face. Next piece, and we'll walk over to that. Wow. Yeah, these are really incredible pieces. So this is Jessica Forsanger. Jessica made these pieces when she was going through chemo. And she lost her hair. Yeah. They're a really wonderful example of an artist, a really remarkable artist using humour in very difficult circumstances. And, and using that levity to deal with her current circumstances. And they are, they're so direct, they're so powerful. Yeah, they're incredibly powerful pieces. She made a series of works of herself with her bald head, post-chemo, um, in the guise of famous male artists. Obviously, throughout the show, there are numerous conversations going on across the space. And it's really interesting how how even though we don't know one another it's interesting how certain themes and certain devices and strategies replicate and echo one another and I feel a connection to these works and this appropriation of character and referring in particular to the male gaze in relation to oneself something that, that you're going through and this I suppose you could read them as her appropriating male Strength, male power, male, male self-assertion in a time of weakness. Even That's one history. interpretation. Even art and history. art history. Apparently when her hair grew back, it was curly, and she did an incredible series of herself as curly-haired men. I urge you to look at them, they're wonderful. Where next? We did a bit about this. We did a bit about Rebecca. and the has a Hans Belmer feel. They really do, don't they? She's using herself like a kind of broken doll, which is very interesting. There's a real dark romance to her work. And these, these dark mirrors and memento mori that she brings into her pieces. She's trying to... There's a really interesting device in the centre of her, her piece here um, about Narcissus with a broken mirror. 
you may be aware, you know, the Caravaggio image of Narcissus, which has a very prominent knee placed in a very direct location intended to, to suggest a phallus. When she made this piece, she wanted to use some kind of visual device in place of that, which was talking about the female genitalia. And one thing that she found very interesting when she was making this piece was how it was trying to find the linguistic term for the, the female equivalent of the phallic. And I believe it's yonic. But it's interesting, we don't know, do we? We don't know. Just like we don't know the male version of misogyny. Oh, yeah. Misandry. It Ah. is. Thank you. (laughs) So there's something very... These are new pieces, relatively new pieces by her, and they're all made in a clock tower, which has a very particular resonance. The passage of time and the stilling of time that you feel in her work. And there's there's something very interesting about a kind of dark, foreboding within these images. They're enticing, they're seductive, and she does talk very directly about sexuality, about female sexuality in her work, and there's something very erotic about them, with their, their lush surfaces. But these, there's something about these which are somewhat repellent, you know, in, in an interesting way. They feel like visitations, dark visitations. When we talk about language, there's also language that we're taught not to use, uh, language that's considered bad. And I always struggle with it because it's generally the feeling that's behind the words when you say them. So we're looking at a work by Alana Curry, and it's the Sisters of Perpetual Resistance. Mm -hmm. And over here, there's some furniture that's been collapsed with other favorite words. Some people embrace them and other people use them to put people down. Um, I'm handing this over to you. (laughs) Inevitably those words have a very particular power when women use them. And yes, these are obviously as we've described, there are a lot of work here which uses uh, encoded language. You're allowed to. And sleight of hand, we're allowed to use it, but there there are far more direct forms of language and she uses them in a really interesting way. So we're looking at a, a vast banner, which is meant to evoke marching, Victorian marching banners. She's using gold thread and red velvet to evoke luxury. And finery. And it's, it's, funny. it's funny. She's done humor again. Oh, yeah, again. They're very humorous. It's interesting. You wonder how certain pieces would be received at different times, but certainly right now, many people have responded to this banner and said this is how they're feeling at present. There's another one I want to go to. What is the male word for slut? I don't think there is one. Well, this no. is it. No, as soon as I've you start to talk about language. I've always struggled. Like, what does that mean? A woman who likes sex? I don't it's get it. Why is that a problem? Why is that a well, problem? previously, it would mean, um, once upon a time, it would mean that someone wasn't house proud, I believe. Clever. So the furniture says slut. It's knocked over. It's bent out of shape. It's kind of flawed upholstery. Yeah, it says it all. That's a bad woman. Let's move over to, okay, another artist that I came across in maybe 2009 is Sarah Maple. She became someone that I speak to a lot. I was in a film she did for Sky Arts, and she's always dealing with identity issues. There's a Northern English Muslim thing going on here. She puts herself right into live audiences. She stood in, in L.A. with letting people stick things to her. It was so bone-chillingly terrifying that 
meeting Sarah and seeing the happiest, friendliest, most open character, it throws me when I see the situation she's put herself into. Sarah Maple's work in, in this particular show has an anti-rape cloak. Uh, my knowledge of Sarah is she's performance-based and a lot of what she deals with is women's clothing and uh, how clothing actually can really affect the way you're perceived and treated in society. This one is quite controversial because the woman's completely covered up and it's the anti-rape cloak. It's so strong. Everything she does is so strong and powerful and it does create reactions. So from my point of view, Sarah talks about how to move through the world with clothes to keep you safe and yeah so I think it was partly made in response in direct response to a judge who I can't remember when it was exactly it was some time ago but he made reference to a rape victim's clothing and the clothing that she wore and that being directly related to the crime and her violation and as we know, there's so much discussion, as though the clothes were responsible. As though, yeah, as, exactly, as though they were. And implicit consent. Obviously, we know the opprobrium which is placed on women who drink, who drink alcohol, and how much that's brought into rape trials. It was very interesting, actually, just recently going to see the Jodie Comer performance of Prima Facie, which was remarkable, you know, and how she was talking about that in particular, you know. How, how women are treated within the justice system and the expectations of women. So it's fascinating how Sarah decided to make a cloak as though a garment could be worn which would deflect such violation, as though it were possible that there could be a perfect means of apparel, a sartorial shield which could prevent you from being assaulted. And it's interesting how playful those images seem at first glance. You know, here I am. Humor. Humor, yeah, the use of humor. We use sleight of hand. We use certain devices. We use what's available to us. And that's a really great way of seducing you into looking at something dark and terrifying. So we're talking about pre-existing networks and communications. Sarah has a very particular connection to Alana Curry. Uh, Lana Curry, you, some, some people will know her more as one of the Thompson twins. And she set up some time ago, she set up, I think, a fairly informal residency program in her studios, in her central London studios, to support female artists, emerging female artists. And Sarah Maple was one of those artists. So you might notice on the banner um, this embroidered ribbon with gold text it was partly made in response to Alana's work. You can see the form of the ribbon is really similar. Because she was working with Alana, you know, she was communicating with Alana. And look at Sarah now, you know, look at what came out of that. It's interesting, I was at a meeting yesterday with, with the Bond Street Committee, and the subject was who are the women role models for women who didn't have mothers as role models? We need to... Have to seek them. You have, have to seek them. But I think we are atomized. I think, but not, I think, or we're perceived to be, but we're not, because there's an undercurrent of connection. And I think that's partly what's, what we want, what we hope to achieve, is that by creating a space for communication and connectedness, people can potentially forge connections or recognize connections that already existed. So what's next for infems? 
Next, so we have a show where we've, we're invited to be part of an international group show opening at Haus Kunstmitte in Berlin. So that's opening on the 8th of September. So that's in a fantastic institution exhibiting work by female artists. And that's going to be on until January. So it's a, a long show. And that's called, so that's Bodies in Trouble, it's called. Um, and as you'll see when you see the poster, there's a painting of mine where a body is in serious in trouble. And then we have another project which is going to be called Deconsecrated, which is housed in a former chapel in Ghent. And that's with the DAC. So who's coming to see the show in your mind? Who do you want to see this show? Is all the work for sale? How long it's running for? The work is for sale. The show will be on until the 21st of August. It's open from Thursday till Sunday, 12 to 5 p.m. And it's, uh, the whole site is worth a visit, as we've heard. <laughs> it's been very interesting pulling these pieces together and to, to try to, me not knowing the artist well. Are you invigilating the gallery today? So if people came by on one of the days between now and the 20th, would you be here? I will probably be here on the last day. Yeah, I'll be, yeah, we, we, the artists, um, we're going to have many meet the artist days so people can come and spend time with the artists and talk to them about their work. Will you post that on your Instagram? It is on our Instagram. Okay, so we're posting the dates. Our Instagram is Infirm's Art Collective. Roxana Halls, thank you so much for taking us through this MFEMS show. Thank you for visiting. You've been listening to Maeve Doyle's Private View. This podcast is produced by Will Fitzpatrick at Soho Radio. The music is by Cora Shidhami. Thank you for listening. <laughs>